there's a very simple, small word in the English language that is incredibly powerful. This word, depending on the context in which it's used, can either be a word that is very full of despair and frustration, or it can be a word that is full of wonder and optimism. Depending how you choose to use this word, as small and simple as it may be, it can completely shift your perspective on who you are in the world around you. And this very, very simple word is if. It may not seem very powerful, but it is. Because for some of us, we can use this simple word if and attach the word only to the back of it, and it can reflect the frustration we have in life. If only I didn't tear my muscle in high school, I would have won the Super Bowl last week. If only my parents were rich when I was growing up, I wouldn't be in so much debt right now. If only my boss didn't hire an attractive assistant, I wouldn't be having problems in my marriage right now. Sometimes we can look at that word if, and we can attach that word only to it, and it can be full of blame and despair and frustration. It can be looking at the world around us and looking at everything as everybody else is the problem. Everything wrong with us is if only something else was different around us. And as full of despair as this word can be, it can also be a word that's full of wonder and hope. If we shift that if and we say, what if? What if I work harder in school and I would get better grades? What if I put the energy that I put into my social media into my marriage? What would it look like? What if I didn't blame everybody else and took responsibility? Depending on how we use this very simple word, it can completely shift our outlook on life. If we choose to say if only, it can be very easy to see everybody else as the problem. And it can be very easy to fall into despair and think there's no way to improve things. But if we decide to say, well, what if, and then live like it, we can have optimism and hope and probably wonder about how things can be better. This morning, we're going to jump into a story where that word if is pivotal in how things unfold. It's a story where people are asking, well, if only God would do what I wanted him to do. But Jesus, at the same time, is answering, well, what if you actually believed me? It's a story that comes up in the Gospel of John. We were in the Gospel of John for a while since the new year, and we're going to continue in the Gospel of John now. But now we're going to shift into kind of the last week or so of Jesus' life and the stories that unfold from there. John is a really interesting gospel account because like 95% of Jesus' life is in the first half, and the second half is all like one week of Jesus' life. There's so much emphasis on the end of Jesus' life for good reason in John's gospel. And it helps us to kind of shift our thinking around this word if and wonder like what could be different if we think differently. This story that we're going to jump into is one that some of us, maybe if we've been around church, we're a little bit familiar with. Maybe for some of us, it's a little obscure, and we're not so sure about it either. It's a story that I know that uh, can be alarming at times because it doesn't make sense. 
But it's a story that demonstrates that when we act on the what-ifs that Jesus invites us to, it can change everything. The story is found in John chapter 11. Just before this chapter, uh, Jesus had, had been having a discussion, a dialogue, as Jesus often does. He's traveling around. He's healing people. He's speaking about God. And the religious leaders aren't too pleased with him. And so it comes to a point where he decides to travel across the Jordan River. And he travels across, and he decides to move away from where all the religious leaders who are angry at him are. And then chapter 11 hits, and it says this. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was, lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So John is setting up the context. These are people Jesus knows. These are people that Jesus has spent time with. Mary and Martha, their stories come up in different Gospels. There's a story of where Mary is spending time with Jesus, and Martha's at work in the kitchen, and Martha's a little upset about it. And Jesus says, well, Mary's chose the best thing. There's a story of the anointing of his feet with perfume, where some of the disciples were like, well, this is a waste of money. And he says, actually, she chose the best thing. So they're well known to Jesus. They're people that Jesus is connected with. They are good friends. They get mentioned multiple times. It says, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So these people that Jesus knows, these sisters send out word, meaning somebody traveled to Jesus to let him know someone is sick. It says, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. They've sent word that Lazarus is sick, and he says, you know what? This sickness is not going to end in death, but it's for God's glory. Last week, if you listen online or if you're with us, we looked at the healing of a blind man. And the disciples asked Jesus, well, whose fault is this? Who sinned, his parents or him, that he was born blind? And Jesus' answer was like, hey, it's not that simple. It's actually for God's glory, so it can be revealed. And sometimes we get stuck in, well, whose fault is this? In the same way, Jesus hears the news, his friend Lazarus is sick, and he says, he is not going to end, the sickness is not going to end in death, it's for God's glory, so that people will know who he is, Jesus. Those of you who are familiar with this story, you know there's a little foreshadowing of what's to come in this statement. It's now, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. You might be thinking, wow, what kind of friend is that, right? He stayed where he was when he finds out he's sick. Now, I can read it like that. You can be like, well, why is he waiting? Like, shouldn't he go right away to be with Jesus? We're going to get some more context to it, but sometimes we don't always know the circumstances of what's happening in the Scripture. You know, it could be that Jesus had intended to stay a month where he was, and he said, well, okay, I've got to get some things done, so I'll get two days, and then I'll go. But there's also a bigger picture of what's going on in this text. It says, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And this is the bigger picture. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. 
This area that he's going to go back to, Jerusalem, Judea, this area where the religious leaders are, he had just left there because they were trying to kill him. And his disciples go, well, why would we go back to where they want to kill you? This doesn't make sense, Jesus. Like, we know your friend's sick, but could we wait a while? And so the context goes, and Jesus says, well, you know, they could, they could get me any time, but we should go back now. And his followers are like, well, okay, fine. And then Jesus says, well, come on, let's go. Lazarus is asleep. And his followers say, well, if, he, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. So why do we need to go? And Jesus says, oh, no, he's dead. And they're like, oh, okay, he's dead. Well, if we're going to go where you're going to die, let's go with you so we can die with you, his followers say. And that's how the story keeps continuing. They're kind of like encouraging and saying, okay, let's go. Let's go into this place where we know there's opposition. Let's go where we know people are not going to look very friendly upon us. Let's go. He says, on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Jesus waited two days, and it obviously took a little while to travel, and Lazarus has been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, typically, this means that he was actually dead longer than four days because usually there would be a time of grieving outside of the tomb as well where the body is, is anointed with oils and perfumes and people would be surrounding the body and weeping and wailing over it. And then they would put it in the tomb. So now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, it says, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. One of the traditions that people had at this time, and still sometimes in Jewish customs you still have, is that there would be individuals who come specifically to mourn. They would go to be mourners in a place where death had occurred so that it would appear like there would be more people grieving for this person. Sometimes these people would be paid to do that. Sometimes they were just extended family and friends who would come. In this context, we're leading up to Passover, so there are many people in Jerusalem that aren't usually in Jerusalem. So they all come to this event, this death, and they're there to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Sorry, when Martha went heard. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the first, if only you'd been here, Jesus. If only you were here when I asked you to be here, we wouldn't be having this funeral. We'd be getting ready for our festival. If only you had been here when I said you needed to be here, this would be a different scenario that we're in. Out of her sorrow, her grief, she says something that many of us probably would say too. If only, God, you would have done what I asked, things would be better right now. If only you did what I thought was best in this moment, it would be different. And even as she gives her if-only statement, she follows it up with, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. In the midst of her if-only, this question of despair and frustration, of going like, why can't this be different than it is? 
she still has this level of trust to say, well, I believe still that God will do something if you ask. Sometimes in the midst of our own if-onlys, we don't have that same level of trust or faith. We think, God, if only, if only I would have passed that exam, I'd be getting into a better school. Or if only my boss wasn't such a jerk, I would have got a promotion. Or if only my wife would just stop saying those things, we'd have a better marriage. We often put the if only, but we don't think of, well, hey, maybe there's something that could be fixed in this. And maybe there's something we could trust in this. For Martha, she still had this trust that Jesus could do something, even if she didn't fully understand it. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. He says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. There's this continuous belief through Scripture that in the end, people will rise again. There's a resurrection that occurs. And so she repeats it and says, yeah, I know this. I know this. We've been taught this in synagogue. When we go to synagogue, this is what we're taught. We know this. So she held on to this as like a future hope. This is what she believed. This is what she knew. And Jesus says, well, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus takes Martha's, if only you had been here, and that glimmer of faith saying, you could still do something, and says, I know you have this belief, but what if, what if I'm what it's really all about? What if I'm the one who brings life to dead situations? What if I'm the one who gives hope? Do you believe that? Jesus takes her if only and transforms it into a what if of possibility. What if Martha believes this? What if Martha shifts her thinking from going, God, why did you let this happen? To God, what can you do in this moment? What if we shift sometimes our if onlys, if only this would be different, if only they would be different, if only this didn't happen to, okay, God, what if something good can come out of this bad? What if what was meant for bad, God can use for good? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she, said, she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. Teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. So they did what they were meant to do. They were supposed to accompany her and bring comfort by mourning with her. And they're thinking, well, this is what's going to happen. She's going to the tomb where Lazarus had been dead for four days or in for four days. When Mary reached the place that Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had only been here, this would be a different situation. Just as her sister said, 
if only you had been here. Mary comes back and says, if only you had been here. If only you had been here when we asked you to. If only you did the dishes when I asked you to, I wouldn't have had to yell. If only that person was paying more attention, I wouldn't have to speed on the highway and cut them off. If only, if only, if only. We're so full of if only sometimes because we want things to be different, but we're not always sure how they can be. For Martha and Mary, it's the same scenario. How could this be different? Their brother's dead. Martha at least has placed some trust saying, well, I know, Jesus, that you can ask God and he'll do what you ask. But for Mary, it's just, if only you'd been here. If only you'd been here, this would be different. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He said. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus is moved in compassion, but also in sorrow. As he sees others grieve, he too feels the loss in the moment, and it says he wept. He was moved by it. Sometimes as we ask our if-onlys, we assign blame to God or to someone, but we don't recognize that God's actually with us in it. If only, God, you had done what I asked and answered my prayers. If only, God, you have just done this. But in our sorrow and our suffering, Jesus is there with us, and he's affected by it. In the same way he weeps at the loss of his friend, your pain matters to him. Your sorrow, your suffering matters to him. In the same way he could be there and be moved by the mourning and the grief, your grief touches him. And he weeps with us. As we ask our if-onlys, as we show our frustration, as we wonder why things can't be different, but they should be, Jesus is in the midst of it, experiencing and feeling what we feel. Not in a way that is like ours, but in a way of compassion and love for us. In expressing a desire for better for us as well. As some of the mourners say, well, look at how much he, he cared. Others are saying, well, why didn't he do something? They've got their if-onlys too. And they reference back to that story of the blind man being able to see, like, hey, we know he could do something. Why didn't he do something? Why didn't he do something? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad order, for he has been there for four days. Jesus, it stinks. Don't move that stone. Don't do it. Right? That's, I think that's a very normal response. There is decay. There is death. There's, why could this be good? She's saying. Why is this a good idea? We know what happened. 
why would we move this stone? But Jesus asked, he says, take away the stone. And he said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you for what you have heard me. I know, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. As Martha and Mary are not expecting this, they are thinking, if only, Jesus, you had shown up when we first asked you to, you could heal him. We've seen you do the healing. We've heard about people being healed. We know people who've been healed. And Jesus says, Martha, this isn't going to end the way you think it is. This is for God's glory, so you know who I am. But Mary, in the same midst of uncertainty, says, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. And Jesus moved with compassion because he feels in our pain. He says, let's move that stone away. And they had a choice. They could say, well, no, Jesus, it stinks. We're definitely not doing that. But he said, well, you should. They still had a choice. Were they to move the stone or not move the stone? Now, if they didn't move the stone, nobody would know what's behind that cave or in that cave. But they trusted. They had a faith level to say, all right, let's try it. And in the midst of that happens what John calls a sign. Lazarus walks. The dead rise. It's not the end of the story. Jesus takes the if-only questions that are being asked of him, saying, if only you had been here, if you really cared, you would have done this. And says, well, what if, what if you believed me when I said, I am the resurrection and the life? What if you believed me so much that when I told you to move that stone, you did? What would happen? And Jesus demonstrates it. Jesus takes the if-onlys of despair and death and moves them to what-ifs of wonder and joy. In the same way, he invites us to take our if-onlys to him as well. In the same way that he is able to resurrect the dead, and we have this hope for eternity with him, he can resurrect the dead in our marriages, in our friendships, in our workspaces, in our world. Sometimes we look around and see the despair and discouragement that we all have and go, if only God would do something in this moment, things would get better. And in the same moment, Jesus says, well, what if you did this? And then you have a choice. What if you did it? What if you trusted him? We could say, well, if only, God, you'd fix my marriage. And he'd say, well, what if you spent more time with your spouse and less time on your phone? Or if only, God, you would, you know, make my kids more obedient and listen to me. Well, what if you spent time and had fun with them and respected them as well? Or if only God would just fix my boss who is a horrible person and never listens to me 
Well, what if you learned how to communicate better so they could hear you? Jesus can very much take your if-onlys and transform them into what-ifs because that's what he does. But there's still a step you have to take to make a miracle happen. In the same way that the story they called back to of a blind man who had mud put on his eyes was told to go and wash, and then he could see. Mary and Martha had their brother rise from the dead because they moved the stone he asked them to do. What are the stones that we have to move in our own lives to be able to trust Jesus? What are the stones that we have to say, okay, if you tell me, I'll do it? Or are we just so quick to bring our if-onlys, we never wait and listen for the what-ifs? Do we choose to only listen to God when he tells us what we want to hear and not challenge us to what if you did something different? The story of Lazarus is one of a great miracle, and it's one that transitions Jesus' story. It kind of follows a certain pattern that basically leads to his death. But it's a sign that God gives us to listen. A sign that God gives us to show us of what Jesus can actually do in our lives. He can take what is dead and bring it to life. If we shift our if-onlys to what-ifs and listen to them. It's not always easy. It's not always perfect. But it's an invitation that he gives us. What would it take for your if only to shift to a what if and for you to live and act like what if is possible? What would it take for you to bring your if only Jesus questions and statements, come to him with them, and then listen to him and say, what if you did this? And then you act on it. How would things be different? How could things be different? It's an invitation that Jesus has for all of us. To see how what was broken can be mended, what is dead can be made alive, what is hopeless can be hope-filled. Jesus invites you to take your if-onlys to him and hear what he has to say when he says, well, what if, and then live and act by that faith. The what if is for you to listen to, to hear, and to live out. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God of what-ifs. That in moments in our lives, in our very specific situations, in our uniqueness that we may go through each day, where we come to you sometimes and say, if only, God, this was different, you are there with us in the midst of it. And you can present us with what-if possibilities that can bring hope and healing in life. God, sometimes we don't necessarily have the same faith that the people who move that stone away do, though. Sometimes we feel like, well, it's, what's dead is dead. Why would we bother? Help us to have faith in you and trust you so that we, too, can move those stones away in our lives when you ask us to. That we, too, can wash the mud off our eyes when you ask us to that we too can trust you with our lives because you are with us in it. That in the midst of all we go through, you are inviting us to know you more and to know how present you are in anything we experience. 
Father, I pray that we pay attention to what you invite us to, to the what-ifs of our life, to be open to the possibilities where it sometimes seems like there is none. And that as we open ourselves up to these possibilities, we trust and have faith that you are guiding us in them. Let us pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.